0: We're going to, um, I'm going to try and sort of put together the last three weeks. The first week we spoke, which is dealing with uh, Paul's letter to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 12, we talk, we're talking about um, when David Lally was here, he was talking about uh, that God gives gifts, supernatural gifts to uh, the church, his body. It's called the body for a reason. Um, and those supernatural gifts are words of knowledge, uh, prophetic words. Words that encourage people to believe and hear what God has for them. What God has for each of us is way beyond who we see ourselves to be. You see that with the disciples. Every disciple that Jesus called, he spoke and he led them into the transformation that they would. Who would have thought that uh, a fisherman would become an evangelist or would become a healer? Who would have thought that a, a passionate, zealous, A Jew, very well educated, would become a writer and the foundation of the Christian church. Who would have thought is probably what you could write on most lives. When God takes hold of a life and he begins to work in it, he he, he pulls out what is resident in there in a way that is not visible to the natural. And I would absolutely lay my life down to say that every single one of us has not seen the fullness of what God has for you. And that much of our despair and depression is because we're too naturally based. It's because we limit ourselves by our history. We li- limit ourselves by how we see our future. And we limit ourselves by our own understanding. And so the way you, you, you cope with that is you just make the best of it. And uh, it's usually a lie because God has so much more than you could ask or imagine. And one of the biggest challenges we have is how do we actually believe the supernatural and move into the future with it and, and be transported into places we wouldn't possibly have imagined possible. And I want to suggest to you that what Paul was saying when he said, you know, these, these gifts are here. I was talking to somebody this week because there's lots of people who say, no, these gifts aren't present. And I, and I, I was driving into th- thinking today, why? Why would anybody want to argue that the supernatural stuff that God gave his disciples isn't present today? There's a kind of why would you want less or why would you want to diminish? It doesn't make any sense to me. It's like going to the New Testament and you have this bleep of light with Jesus and his disciples and then you just turn all the power off and you go back to the Old Testament except for the new story. Jesus was radical and he opened up heaven in a way that made things possible after Jesus that weren't possible before. And our natural inclination is to be unbelieving because we can't wrap our heads around it, which is why we need revelation. Revelation is when we see something and we can't work out how it is, but we just know it is. Does that make sense? Revelation is you know that you know, but you don't know how to explain it. It's when God's spirit does things and you just know that you know him, but you don't know how to tell somebody beyond a certain point. That's part of what walking with Jesus is like. So you have these supernatural gifts and they, they, they're given and they're embryonic in everybody here, no question. And then he talks about, and what we talked about last week was that uh, the, the church, or God, when God draws people together, he always draws people into community. And he always draws people into relationship. Uh, following Jesus never leads you into isolation. You might lead yourself into isolation. The Bible is called Lost. When Jesus operates, he always brings people together. So Paul talks about the body of Christ, which means some say I'm a foot, some say I'm an eye, some say I'm an ear. Everybody has a function and a purpose, but you're all connected. We're all connected. And the reason we're connected is because the foot needs the eye to see where it walks, and uh, the, the hand needs the brain to know what to do. And so every part needs another part for it to be fulfilled. And one of the biggest dangers and one of the biggest problems in our culture is that we have subgroups and support groups. This is the foot support support group or the blind eye support group or the poor hearing support group. And one of the reasons why we sometimes have all these support groups and I haven't got anything against them is because you cannot see a foot fulfilled in a support group for feet. And you can't see an eye fulfilled in a support group for eyes. You see the eye fulfilled when it's in the body. There's an interconnectedness that is required, and one of the reasons why I gave out a survey last last week, and if you got, you, we also mailed them out, it's just a feedback survey for the church about how to participate. There's some at the back if you didn't get one or you haven't filled one in yet. Is about how do we engage together? Because Jesus, and after Paul talked about that and talked about the body and said you're all members of one body, which means you're all members of one family. And for some of us, we go, I do not want to be a member of another family. Mine is bad enough. There are all kinds of responses to the invitation to be part of family. But You see, God also wants to heal and redeem the dysfunctional experiences we have of families and relationship. And so he wants us to begin to grow into families that are functional and families that actually are welcoming and families that are healing. And families that actually bring life and bring encouragement and bring acceptance even while we're still being made whole. And so the family of God is meant to be welcoming of all people into a place where together we can learn who God has made us to be and then facilitate that growth into becoming more than we would ever have thought possible. And that's why Paul, after Romans, at 1 Corinthians 12, when he's talking about these gifts and he's talking about the context of these gifts, so within the family where you start hearing God's voice, encouraging people, he then says the 1 Corinthians passage that actually is always misquoted, usually in weddings, which is, love is. And it takes love and makes it into a sentimental wedding thing rather than, love is God. And so I want to end there, but I want to just go back to where Jesus says to uh, his disciples. He's in, in John chapter 12, uh, John chapter 13. He's he's been talking to his disciples about it's going to get rough. It's going to go a way that they never anticipated. He's going to be killed. It's going to get very scary. It's going to get violent. One of them who've been they've been friends now for 12, uh, for, for three years. One of them is going to betray Jesus. And it says, John says, and Jesus loved them to the end. And then he washes their feet. And he, he goes to wash their feet. And he comes to Peter. And as usual, Peter can't take anything quietly. And he says, no, 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 you can't wash my feet. Wash all of me. And Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, you are, you are already clean. Unless I wash your feet, you'll have no part of me. And Peter was still operating out of a broken esteem. I am not worthy. And Jesus was actually saying to him, you are worthy because I have made you worthy. You're going to discover that. And he washes his feet. And I want to suggest to you that there are many people, like all of us probably, who follow Jesus. And he, he wants to say to us, you are already clean. One of the biggest problems is we have self-esteem issues. And self-esteem issues directly impact our relationships. And when, when God comes to us and we say yes to Jesus, he makes us clean. It doesn't mean you're worthy. You, he makes us worthy. And he says to his disciples after he's washed the feet and Judas has left. And then he says to them this whole story about loving one another. What does he say? The Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. All that means is glorifying means that when they look at what Jesus does, how he does it, they go, how can any human being be like this? And they go, no, it's not just a human being. It's the Son of God. It's God in a human being. Glorified means when it's amazing and you go, how did that happen? And it brings glory to the one who created. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me and just as I told them, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, the new new commandment is not... uh, love the lord your god with all your heart love one you know uh, it's actually love one another as i have loved you as the commandment jesus gave love one another in this world there are two kingdoms there's the kingdom of darkness and evil and there's a kingdom of light supernaturally they are both present all the time you can have any opinion you like but they're still present and they're impacting you the darkness is the one that we have grown by default up in the darkness takes love one another and pulls that apart like a child pulls wings of a butterfly. It takes those words and it separates them and says love is an object. Love is something to chase after. Love is something that's related to all kinds of things. Go after it. It takes one and puts it at the sentence and says you are the one. And everything sur- circulates around you. And you take one away and the love another It becomes foreign. It separates these words out. And Jesus pulls them together, says you can't have love without one another. And you can't have one another healthily without love. And you can't have one without love another. They're all interconnected. And so it's a little surprise that in the church and in our lives, we tend to gravitate towards the darkness. We even take the teachings of Jesus and distill them down so that they become self-gratifying. We can take the gifts of the Spirit and then take them as our ego-building thing. We can take anything that God has given and it becomes something less when it becomes self-centered. It's just the way it happens. So one of the things that evil does is it takes the good things of God and it distorts them. Every good thing that God has given is actually manifest in the dark as well. Every gift of God's spirit that is meant to build up the body is also in the occult to destroy it. In fact, so many many Christians have become emotionally dead and spiritually dead ignorant that because they see bad expressions they then say you can't have the good expression we should be rather saying let the good expression override the bad expression which is what we do with a lot of things in life just because they're bad drivers doesn't mean you can't drive and so God calls us together and what Paul says and he builds on this love one another is he, he takes us into 1 Corinthians 13 to speak to us about how much we need one another but we also need the love of God but before I get there, I just want to, to, to sit on love one another as I have loved. I really believe that the, probably the, the deepest journey we can go on is the journey that says, as I am loved. And If I asked each of us to come up here one by one, doors are locked, you can't get away, come up, how are you loved? How does that as I am loved, tell me about how God loves you now? This is not actually to scare you at all. I'm merely just going... It'll illustrate some of us will come up and we'll be able to say some things other of us will not know. Other of us will be like Peter goes, no, but the whole of me, and we'll spend all our time saying how the whole of me needs to be washed again. And Jesus wants to say, will you chill out? I have made you clean. It's called grace as I am loved. Love one another as I have loved you. Some of us will argue theological things. We'll argue and argue and argue. And you go, will you stop arguing? How are you loved? I don't know then all your theology doesn't make any difference. How are you being loved? How are you growing and being loved? What is the good news of Jesus? I mean, the good news to all of us as we walk together is no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how you feel, God loves you. He's for you, not against you. He loves you more than you love your children. He actually likes you. He's not about to beat you up. He actually sent his son to take away all that would cause you to be separated from him. He pours out his heart for you and he says, come to me, you who are weak and weary and heavy laden. How are you loved? I could take you to Psalm 18. You go into the Psalms, you can see lots of things. But in Psalm uh, 18, I used to read this and cry out because my life was such a mess. And don't worry, I'm not going into it again. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I have been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snarls of death confronted me. That was so real. I was suicidal and I was so despairing and felt so locked out and so angry. These words, just they were real. And I kind of go, Lord, why can't the other stuff be real? I'm sick of this real. And so you cry out and, and you just say, Help. And now I can say, I cried to my God for help and from his temple he heard my voice. He parted the heavens and he came down. He reached down from on high, took hold of me and he drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy and he loved me when I was unlovable. And my hope and my faith and my joy now is because he took hold of me. I didn't do anything. I screwed up. I messed up. I didn't. It was him who took hold of me. There is nothing, nothing, nothing in anything, any life here that disqualifies you from the love of God. And if you unpacked it, you can understand where you've been failed and you've broken promises and others have broken promises. There's a lot of stuff around our lives. And God's love doesn't change. How has he loved you? How does he love you? Love one another as I have loved you. Peter went on a long journey to learn about that love. Peter went on deep places to learn that nothing he did would cause him to be separated from the love of the Father. And so in chapter 13 of Corinthians, which is where Paul talks about, you know, we talk a lot here about spiritual gifts. And we, we, we want to chase after them. We want to see healing. We want to see prophetic. But there's a, a caution, which is, the, is, is chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, love I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It, does not, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now you could put God's word and Jesus' name into love and you get the quality and the character of Jesus. And that is the essence of God in a community where he's saying, that's how I want to be expressed among you. You see, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God does not think as individuals. In our Western culture right now, we are very, very dysfunctional. We're isolated. We we, we distill down now to single units. In the Bible, you never hear about human beings in single units. They're always in tribes. They're always in families. They're always in villages. And what those single units think they might do on their own, God usually says within the context of their tribe, uh, no, there's other things I have in mind. One easy example is David. They... They obviously knew who was going to be anointed king out of that family. It wasn't going to be David. When, when the prophet came and he anoints David, he's the most unlikely candidate. When David's towards the end of his life, he's passionately wanting to build a temple for God. And God intervenes through a prophetic word and says, No, you've got blood on your hands. Your warrior. Your son, Solomon, will, will, will build the temple. But every human being is within the context of, of, of village and tribe and relationship. And so your belonging is really important. It's an invitation to to contribute and to have contributions made into your life. And so Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. Love is not an emotion. Love is an action. It's a commitment. That's actually meant to be good news because there's nothing worse than feeling like you're all on your own. And Jesus lived in the context of this interdependence. When Jesus was on this earth, he spoke about the Father. He spoke about the Spirit. He said, the Father, I only do what my Father does. I'm not just a loose cannon. And I also, when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who will be the comforter because we all integrate and work together. So he lived and his community was the Father, Son and Spirit. And he released community into the people that followed him. That's why when he died, when he was on the cross and Mary was in front of him, he said, Mary, behold your son, John. John, behold your mother, Mary. It is not good for you to be alone. I say that because there are lots of people here who isolate. It's called hiding. It's also called very much repressing what God wants to do. There will be not one good reason in this room for why you should not be part of community. That would be approved of by Jesus. Bad experiences are no excuse. They just say be wise. Past history is past history. Learn from it. But this is the only context in which we will actually grow in the things of God and see him working with power. I finish with the nature of God is to serve. Love others as I have loved you. If Jesus is alive in me, what's Jesus like? The good news of God is that he loves you. The good news of the Father is he so loved the world that he sent his Son. The good news of the Son is that he submitted to his Father's will and he came to lay down his life, to wash feet, So you become like the ones you keep company with. How can you say you love God and you don't love one another? You say, well, I don't like everybody. You see, nobody asked you to like everybody. Just love them. Why? Because you loving them will actually get some of the nonsense in you out. And not love them with your cell phone or Facebook. Love them in real life. See, the nature of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was what? Let's just be a happy family. No. The nature of God is looking for those who not yet loved. The nature of God is looking for those who need help. The nature of God is serving others, kneeling down and serving them. What does that mean? It means it's not good enough for you to just operate in a nice little family. That's not the spirit of Jesus. The spirit of Jesus always looks out. And when the spirit of Jesus lives in me, he will, by definition, always be saying, how can I serve? Not in a slave mentality, just in a compassionate, loving mentality. How can I help? As I have loved you means caring for each other, whether we like it or not. Many of the prayers we pray will be prayed as we actually place others before ourselves, as we actually serve in capacities that cause us to be committed to something. And so we want to pray at Jericho Road. We want to pray for our own growth, that we actually will be a people who who will serve, who are willing to serve, who are willing to be there for other people. Not just when it is convenient, but in a committed way all the time. Does that make sense to you? If you want to see God grow in you, let him work through you. If you want him to work through you, begin to avail yourself of being able to be present to serve. If you want to see the gifts of God working in you, they will only be released as you need them. He will give you gifts as you need them, not just to store up. As I have loved you, love one another. We could go to Philippians, taking the very nature of his servant, Jesus came before us. It's countercultural, this community that God calls us to be in. So ask him how he sees you and your relationships. You started with a cell phone. That could be something that needs attention for some of us. But beyond that, how, how, how am I spreading out? How much am I interested in those around me? How am I offering myself? And how can I actually help let others, allow others into my life to help me? Let's stand. You know, one of the joys of community is that sometimes um, you know, we all need help. We all need encouragement. We all need assistance from time to time. Some of us aren't good at asking for that. Um, that's nothing to actually go, oh, I'm, I'm okay. It's more Wow, you've never needed help. You must be out of touch. We all need each other. So just, Father, as we come here this morning, as we stand here today, we just thank you for one another. Thank you that we don't have to be perfect. We don't even have to have our act together. You've just placed us within a context of community where we can grow into learning about being loved and where we can be a contribution into the lives of one another. We ask you to forgive us where we have allowed fear to isolate us or put up walls. We ask you to forgive us where we've become so self-sufficient that we, like I did when I was young, said, I don't need other people. And we just repent of that. ask you to heal those kind of vows we've made. We break those vows in the name of Jesus. where we're afraid of letting people into our lives. And we thank you for the love that was manifest in Jesus, that he so loved us when the cords of death entangled us or wherever we were struggling or where we just found ourselves empty. We thank you that your love is present there. And we want to be people through whom you can touch lives. That we will be those who could say to somebody who's lost, there is a God who loves you. And you're going to actually see him and experience him through my presence with you right now. Because I can tell you about how he loves me. I'm still on a long journey, but I can tell you that I know his love. And so, Father, we just bless the relationships you are creating around us and in us. And we just ask you to increase them, that we would enjoy them, we would actually look out for others, and that you will continue to grow us up as a community that is, is filled with love. I, I heard a testimony this week of a guy who was a, a, a very much a, an addict, biker kind of guy, and he said, what got me was the people from the church. They came and they loved me fiercely, and they wouldn't stop, and they accepted me. I didn't have to do anything. And Father, may we be a people of fierce love. And so Jesus, because he loves community, he also gave us this meal to share in. And he said, when you come to this table, come and remember what I have done for you. And then also remember how much you need each other. You're part of a community. That's why it's a banqueting table. And he he invited them. He said, whenever you gather together in my name, do this in memory of me because... This is what is important to me. If you love me, you will do the things that are important to me, and they are actually your lifeblood as well. So often, I have in the past, and still do, and you probably do too, are like Peter. I protest. I say, Lord, I have got strength to follow you. I believe in you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. And Jesus says, when the rooster crows three times, you will understand that you cannot do this in my own strength. You cannot love like I call you to love. In your own strength. So as we come to the breaking of bread and the the sharing of the wine, we come to that place where Jesus says, "But I in you can do more than you could imagine."